Hi, and welcome to Grief Talk, the podcast where we talk about grief. I'm Sarah. And I'm Susanna. And we are here today talking a little bit about early grief. Um, But before we dive in, how are you, Suze? I'm good. I'm good. Sarah and I are sitting in our unofficial, official podcast studio, if you will. We are in my bonus room um, that is currently unfinished and um you know we we have made it absolutely uh, it really we're sitting on a couch now and the last time we recorded we were sitting on the floor so we're literally moving up in the world we are moving up <laughs> in the world and maybe the next episode we record there might actually be curtains on the windows and you know things hung on the wall right now it literally looks like a storage closet because that's what it is that's when okay. it's not a podcast studio you know we're just living in the moment we are that's what we're doing <laughs> what we're all about here. Well, I am... I guess I should ask, how are you, Sarah? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for asking. (laughs) How are you? I'm feeling great. (laughs) Uh, No, you know, honestly, today my my body's feeling tired. Uh, I've been been moving around a lot recently, both just kind of in my work world and also physically. And one thing I got to do recently that was fun is I went backpacking, which was a great time. I went with some friends. It was actually my first time backpacking. I've camped before, but I haven't ever backpacked. That's so cool. It was cool, literally. It was very cold. Um, <laughs> but it was fun, too. It was really fun. I love to be in nature. It's a very grounding experience for me. And it's fall, so the leaves were changing, and it was it was really beautiful. It was a fun experience. That's so, so cool. And how cool that your body is able to do that. Yeah, it was a trying time, let me tell you. <laughs> there were times I was like, yeah, I really can't hike anymore. But no, it was good. It was the picks were great. The picks were worth it, for yes. sure. It was for sure worth it. 100%. So uh, today, like we said, we wanted to talk a little bit about early grief and um, specifically that first year. And I want to say this before we get started. This is Sarah, by the way, that I remember specifically in the weeks and months following Leland's death that people would say, you know, there's no right way to grieve. There's no wrong way to grieve, which is true. It's a very true statement. It's also a very unhelpful statement because it still doesn't help me. It doesn't help me know what to do with myself or with this new horrible, cruel gift that I've been given of grief. So what what our heart is today is to just, you know, if you're a grieving person in in those first couple weeks or months or even years after losing someone, we want to try and give you some practical ideas of, you know, how to navigate that first year because I really wish I would have had that. Yeah, and really how to care for yourself too, because I think that it's really easy to be, um, to almost neglect yourself. And I I think something that's super trendy right now is the whole self care movement. But what does self care really look like when you think about it from a grief perspective? Self care is probably not a bubble bath, (laughs) right? Um, At least it wasn't for me. Um, It's probably not, you know, a glass of wine, or at least it definitely wasn't for me because I was scared out of my mind to drink any kind of alcohol. Yeah. Um, but we, we do have some really great, um, you know, tactical, um, tools, uh, or, or in ways to navigate early grief. It's one of those things where you can take it or you can leave it. Um, you know, it's not a one size fits all, Uh, experience or even when it comes down to caring for yourself and like you said Sarah I found myself incredibly frustrated with um, 
trying to navigate early grief because I felt like I was doing it wrong. I felt like I was grieving wrong because, you know, our society and our culture has a certain perception of what grief looks like and it fits in a box. And then when that short time frame is up, then you move on with your life. And it's just not that simple. And we're here to tell you that you don't have to move on, but it's really important to take care of yourself mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so important. You know, my, I have a mentor who told me once that self-care is not eating chocolate and, and taking baths. It's building a life that you don't have to escape from. Oh, that's incredible. And that's so profound. I can't take any credit for it. I literally want to get that tattooed on me. You want to go? You want to oh, get more matching should, tattoos? You should do a cross stitch. <laughs> I would love to have a cross stitch of that in my house. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that that puts it a little bit more in perspective is, it, you know, it's not giving yourself treats. It's, you know, how, how can I cultivate and build a life around me that feels safe for me and that I don't feel like I have to escape from? That's so profound. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Self-care is more than bubble baths and chocolate. It's building a life that you don't have to escape from. That's really incredible. Yeah. I would say thanks, but it wasn't my idea. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, though. Yeah. Seriously. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, we want to jump in and talk about um, uh, a couple of ways, really practical acts of service for yourself that you can do. Um, and Susanna is going um, to read a little bit about those from a, a resource that we really like. Uh, her name is Megan Devine, and she has... Shout out a, to Megan. Shout out to Megan, our girl. She has a platform called Refuge in Grief. I would really encourage everybody to give her a follow on Instagram. She is super helpful, offers uh, a lot of really great insights, and she's been able to really articulate some things that I never even knew that there were words for. So she's she's really great. Yeah, and before I dive into the, the eight tactical acts or simple acts uh, that she has given us um, on her Instagram, she also has a book called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And it, I actually bought it for a dear friend who had gone through a loss um, a few years ago because I really liked Megan Devine's Instagram. And so I trusted that her book would be really good too. So I remember this was when I was living in Chicago. I bought the book and I was headed to go see my friend. I was on the L and I- What does that mean on the L? On the L, uh, on the, the subway. Oh, in Chicago. she's a city girl. I was a city girly <laughs> for a hot second. Now I'm back. Listen, us town, town mouse, country mouse. Yes. <laughs> I am country mouse once again. Okay, you were Thank on the, the L. Lord. Um, but I was on the L and I could not read that book fast enough. Mm. It, it was so incredibly validating. And I had already been walking with my grief at that point for three years. And in this book, I felt so scene. And so I just, I'm a huge fan of Megan Devine and what she has done for this space and for grieving people. And you're right, Sarah, she is just so good at articulating, um, things that I have felt before and, and really normalizing, um, what grief really looks like or what it can really look like for us. So okay, great, great follow on Instagram. Well, yeah, share with us these eight simple acts. Let's go. Okay, so these are eight simple acts on how to survive early grief, whatever early grief means to you, whatever that time frame is. <clears throat> so number one is stay safe. Um, and then there's a little blurb with each one. So for stay safe, it says, do it for yourself if you can, do it for others if you must. 
If you are driving while crying too hard to see straight, pull over. If you are about to get in the car, help yourself calm down. Distraught driving is dangerous. It's very simple, very straightforward. Yeah. And you know, keep in mind, there's nowhere that you have to be that's so emergent that you can't stop for a few minutes and take care of yourself. Yeah. 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 That's so true. I love that. What's the second one? Number two says, tend something. Water the plants, brush the animals, send a care package. Thinking of others or giving love or getting out of yourself for a while can help. This one really resonates with me personally. Um, I was living in Chattanooga by myself um, during, you know, this time of Leland's accident and, you know, shortly afterward. And um, I actually adopted my dog, my beloved dog, Lola, um, in July of 2016 and Leland passed in October of 2016. And I just think that that was God being so kind to me, weaving Lola into my life um, because I had to take care of her. And it's not that I just had to take care of her. I wanted to take care of her. And, you know, with dogs, you have to feed them. You have to water them. You have to take them outside uh, for bathroom breaks and for walks. And um, Lola's a border collie. And so, you know, there's a lot of grooming involved with that. And that just became such a great uh, ritual, I think, for myself (laughs) to care for her. And, And a beautiful thing is she just was always happy to see me even if I was crying like she was just happy to be there just happy to lay with me and you know snuggle with me in bed or you know whatever whatever the day held um that was something that was really really helpful for me personally yeah yeah the great thing about dogs when you're grieving is that they don't talk they don't ask you any questions they don't expect anything from you except for you know a treat maybe every once in a while Mm -hmm. um maybe an ice cube if you're like our dogs, yeah. <laughs> uh, they love ice cubes, but, um, but yeah, they're really helpful. I think too, the thing about tending to something is it's, it's easy for, for life to feel like it's lost its meaning when you've lost your person mm-hmm. and, you know, taking care of something or someone, you know, it gives you a little bit of meaning. You mean something to, you know, you mean something to Lola or you oh, mean I something. Oh, I do. I know I do. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> She loves you as much as you love her. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it can help you feel like you have a little bit more meaning. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I will say the the relationship goes two ways. I have to share the story really quick. There was um, an afternoon, I remember, I, I was really, really just sad. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I just cried and cried and cried and there just weren't enough tears to satisfy like my grief um and I was sitting on the couch in my living room in Chattanooga I was just crying and crying and I was on the phone with my mom because my family lives in Franklin and they weren't close by and uh while I was talking with my mom Lola kept bringing me her favorite squeaky tennis ball and she would just squeak it right next to me while I was sitting on the couch. And at one point I was like, well, you just stop that. Like (laughs) you're not helping. And my mom, she pointed out, she was like, you know, Susanna, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to believe it's true. My mom said, Susanna, that's Lola's favorite toy. And it brings her joy. She knows that you're sad and Mm. she's trying to bring you joy. And I just, you know, I do feel like that's true. I I think that dogs can really, obviously I'm a dog lover here, but, um, But yeah, I just, I think that that was just such a beautiful little moment that Lola 
shared with me and I'll always remember it. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Love that. She tended to me at that point. Absolutely. Okay, so number three on the list says get outside. Being outside in a non-human world is a relief. The trees will not ask, how are you really? The wind does not care if you cry. There is a lot to be said for being in a place that doesn't need anything from you. Yeah. I love this one for myself because being outside is is just very grounding for me. It is. There's something about nature that feels consistent, that feels predictable, and that feels familiar without there being any expectation you know, from me. And that might sound kind of woo-woo, like, you know, the earth no. doesn't expect anything from me, but it's true. So I think it's really great to, to just get outside, even if it's not to walk around, just to sit outside. Um, you know, take your shoes off and feel the grass. Like there's just something so grounding about being out in nature. I completely agree. Yeah. And that's what you did a few weeks ago when you it went is. backpacking. Oh yes. You were out there in God's creation. That's right. All right, number four, drink water. Crying for months on end is really dehydrating. Please drink water. Your body needs it. And this is one that's just so simple. It seems obvious, but truly it is so easy to overlook basic 101s when it comes to caring for yourself. You know, it it really is as simple as if you have a Nalgene, if you have a, a water cup or something, Make sure it's full and make sure it's next to you because you're more likely to just sip on it. Even if you're not thirsty, your body is going through so much and carrying so much physically, even if you don't realize it, um, while you're grieving, that it is so important to, to really care for yourself in such a basic but important way. Yeah. And in those first couple of days and weeks, if somebody's, you know, can I, can I do something for you? Can I get you something? Ask for water. Even if you don't want it, ask for it. That, that would be a good way to just kind of, you know, keep a reminder there. Yeah. That's okay. good. What's next? The next one's also very straightforward um, and basic, like 101. It's number five. It's shower. Hmm. Megan says, really? You will feel just the tiniest bit better clean. The same goes for sweeping the floor or any other seemingly tedious or irrelevant task of hygiene. And this one's so true. Um, it's really easy to forget to shower but or, you know, take a bath if you can't shower. But it really is, there's something cleansing. It's not going to solve your problems, but you will at least feel like she says, a little bit better. Yeah. You know, I remember when we came home from Orlando and it was those first couple of days, which really feel like such a blur in my mind. I think a lot of it's because I didn't sleep very much. So it feels like one long day. I remember the first time I took a shower, our mom kind of like forced me to. <laughs> she was yeah. like, you're going to need to take a shower. I remember having this distinct thought. I don't think I can stand up for long enough to take a shower. Like my grief was so physical and so heavy on me. I just really remember thinking, what if I can't stand up long enough to take a shower? Um, you know, I don't, I don't really remember what happened after that, but I do know, you know. You didn't it, fall in the shower. We know I that. You were able to get through yeah. it. Even yeah. if you just put your hair up on top of your head. Yeah. That's why God made dry shampoo. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily put on a full face of makeup and, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Absolutely not. It is just a matter of just go mm-hmm. and wash your body. 
Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's normal to, to feel like, I don't even think I can do that. That's, that's a really normal thing to think. Yeah. Yeah. Number six, move. Moving your body is likely to bring a little measure of calm. Do yoga, go for a hike, or walk the dog. Even to the end of the block is a good start. It won't solve anything, but movement is good. Yeah, absolutely. The endorphins that it releases in your body just to move a little tiny bit is really good for you. Even if it's not, you know, full on cardio exercise, it's really good for your brain to move your body. It's incredibly regulating to, um, I was talking with my counselor uh, a few weeks ago in one of our sessions and I was overwhelmed and stressed out about a certain situation unrelated to grief, but you can definitely relate this back to grief. Um, and she told me, she was like, you know, it might be really helpful if you start going for your midday walks again, because I had stopped. And funny enough, that's when I started getting really stressed. And the thing about going for walks and it kind of, you know, is mixed in there with, um, number three, get outside. You know, if you have the ability to go walk outside, you're in nature, walk without a podcast or music in your ears, just, just be in nature. Um, but the whole act of walking, you're regulating your brain because you're using both your right and your left side of your brain because you're having to move your right foot and your left foot. And I did not know that. I didn't realize that it's such a regulating. I mean, I knew I, I felt good when I went for a walk, but I, I didn't realize all of the benefits that come from something as simple as just walking. Yeah. You know, there's something about experiencing trauma, and, and I have definitely felt this, that you kind of feel like you're floating a little bit above the ground. You just don't really feel like you're here. And I know that that's something that I have felt uh, in the past. And one thing that my counselor has helped me is she's, you know, reminded me, you know, feel the world around you. If that means moving and walking, you know, you're feeling you know, the breeze or smelling things or tasting things or hearing things, you know, practicing mindfulness again with my (laughs) woo-woo, but mindfulness is so helpful. Mindfulness is a real thing before it was a trendy word earlier, like this year, whenever it became trendy, like it's a real thing. Yeah. And it really can help you kind of feel like you settle back down onto the ground with everybody else, or even if you're not with everybody else, just that you're, you know, beginning to be an active participant in your life again. Yeah. Regulating. Yeah. What's next? All right. Number seven, say no, say yes. You can't afford any big drains on your energy and you can't afford to miss too many ways to replenish it. Say no to people, places, and events that are too much for you. Say an occasional yes to things that bring even a tiny bit of goodness. I think saying, yeah, saying no is so, so, so important and I, I want to say it's okay to give your per- yourself permission to say no to things that are even a part of your everyday or, you know, weekly routine. Uh, for me in early grief, that looked like not always going to church, which previously I would have never given myself permission to just sleep in on a Sunday. But for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons, it was very hard for me to be in church every week, you know, hearing people, you know, praise and worship and, you know, God's so good. That was really hard for me to hear. And that's just the reality. It doesn't mean God isn't good. It just means that I couldn't hear it for that time. It means that you're wrestling with what you were dealing with at that time with that early grief and the God of the universe can handle you wrestling with it. Yeah. 
and you know the social aspect of it too is also very difficult just feeling like I had to talk to people having people come up to me or to our family it was just difficult and so you know it was okay for me to say no to that and I want to remind you if you're listening to this saying no to something now doesn't mean you're never going to do it again just means you're saying no right now so yeah that's that's really well said and from my perspective I intentionally made my world um incredibly small when you know in that first year for myself uh walking through my grief I really could only get up out of bed take care of Lola go to work come home get back in bed like that was the extent of what I could do and so for me it was really easy and I lived alone in Chattanooga it was really easy for me to say no to you know meeting new people or uh, you know, doing something socially. Um, I will say the flip side to that is there were times where I felt incredibly lonely. Um, because there, you know, even though I am incredibly introverted, there is something to be said about some human interaction on occasion. But when you are in just the fog of that early grief, it's understandable if you want to be around someone, but you don't want to have to talk. And I felt like the good old Southerner girl in me almost felt like I had to host if I wanted to have someone over and my house wasn't very clean. I, you know, I was only able to take care of myself and my dog and like, that was pretty much it. You know, it wasn't, my house was not decorated, my, you know, whatever. And the last thing I wanted to do was try to put together a charcuterie board to have a friend over only sit there and not want to have to explain myself and so it's an interesting it can be an interesting spot to find yourself in but just know it is completely okay like Sarah said to say no even to normal things um because you will have the opportunity to say yes again absolutely it's not forever absolutely even though the grief that you have you will carry forever um the weight and the fog of the early grief it will lift in a way eventually yeah it's a good reminder but it sucks yeah for sure it's really hard and it's okay to acknowledge that okay so the last thing um is number eight and it's eat some people eat under stress some lose all interest in food Some experience serious, lasting physical challenges due to their, quote, grief diet, end quote. Small doses of healthy, nutrient-dense food might be more easily tolerated by your mind and body than full meals. Yeah. I remember um, a lot of people brought us food. People actually brought us meals, brought our family meals. uh, So we all passed away in October into the new year. So Mm -hmm. for months they brought food which was really helpful. Um, and it was a lot of bread. I just, a lot of carbs, a lot of comfort food. Yes. Which is great. But you know, in a time where, I mean, my body just felt sick. It just felt unwell. You know, I really don't want heavy pasta and, you know, cupcakes and all that stuff, fried food. And we didn't eat that stuff. No. Consistently beforehand anyway right right not that there's anything wrong with you know fried oh, food and pasta <laughs> no, nothing nothing is wrong with it but it's not something that we would consistently eat 
prior to right. losing Leland, you yeah. know? And so it's kind of a shock to the system. Yeah. So I just remember like, I just wanted fruit and like one person brought like a bowl of fruit and I was so happy to see that fruit. Uh, so I want to encourage you, you know, eat what sounds good and ask for what sounds good. You know, ask for the things that, that sound good to you too. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, asking for the things that you need. You know, a, a lot of people will offer, especially in early grief in that first year, you know, please let me know if I can do anything for you or if there's anything you need, tell me. And it can feel really overwhelming because I know for myself, I didn't know what to ask for. I felt like, yeah, sure, maybe I could use some help, but where do I even start? And so I wanted to, um, yeah, just talk about a couple of things that we could ask people for. Uh, one idea is, you know, kind of make a little mental note, a little mental list of things that you do in a day or do in a week. And what are the things that you don't have to do? Like showering, you have to be the one to shower. But, you know, you don't have to be the one to clean your house. So maybe you can ask somebody to come over and vacuum. You know, that's totally something that you can ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so acts of service, you know, asking somebody to come to your house to pick, to pick up your house or fold your laundry or get your kids from school, you know, those are all things that, that you can absolutely ask somebody to do for you. Uh, another thing is food. Ask people for food. They're, they're probably going to give it to you anyway, (laughs) but if there's a certain food that you're craving, uh, it's okay to ask somebody for that or, um, you know, that, that's, that's just something that. I know that for me, food can be also a very grounding experience mm-hmm. and a way to take care of your physical body. So it's something that you can ask for as well. Um, another thing that I think is really important is, and something that I feel really thankful for, is and having an advocate, especially in those first few weeks after losing someone. In our situation, in our experience, the loss of our brother was sudden. And obviously we never saw that coming and that might not be the case for everybody. Um, we can only speak from our personal experience, but I know for, for me, I was really thankful for our aunt cookie. Uh, and yes, her real name is cookie. And yes, she is as delightful as she sounds truly an incredible person. We truly love aunt cookie. Uh, Aunt Cookie is our dad's sister, and um, we that's actually, you know, who we were spending time with in Orlando when we found out that Leon had passed away. So she really stepped up into the, uh, as Susanna says, gatekeeper role after uh, after losing Leland. And she just, she took care of a lot of really practical things. So for me, for example, I was a student. Uh, Leland passed away in the middle of the semester. I was a, I was a junior in college and midterm exams were happening and I wasn't about to go back to Cookville and go, you know, take some midterms. So she took care of emailing my professors for me, which I mean, looking back, I don't even know how I could have formed words in a sentence to tell them what had happened. So I'm really grateful that she was able to do that for me. Um, so if that's something that, that you can find, you know, somebody who can do something like that, like email your boss or email your kids' teachers, um, you know, that, that's something that that person can do for you. Yeah. And one other thing that she did, um, was that she held our cell phones for us those first few days. And that was something that might not seem necessary, but it was for us because, you know, you have people reaching out, calling, texting, social media, I mean, blowing up. It's, 
it was incredibly overwhelming and I just didn't want to deal with any of it. And so the easy solution is give my phone to Aunt Cookie. And she literally, I remember she would have her phone. She had my mom's phone in her pocket. She, I think at one point had my phone in her pocket. I mean, she literally was the keeper of the phones. And it was just so nice because I, I remember like, how do you even begin to process that personally as the sister, as the family member? Um, when, you know, Leland passed away, the last thing I want to do is answer a text of someone asking, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. How are you? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know how I am. I'm, yeah. tr- I'm, I'm, I'm so many things that you're not prepared for. Right. Right. Yeah. That was really helpful. And I think that was a level of protection that we might not have even known that we needed. I that time. completely agree. Yeah. And with that, I want to encourage you, you do not ever have to answer a text <laughs> or you can always wait to answer a text. So don't feel any pressure to respond to people. Yeah. And, the, and that's the thing about today's society too. We are so readily available and so easily accessible um, with our phones, you know, whether that's through email, text, social media, phone calls, what have you. Um, it's so easy for us to um, access each other and to almost put that pressure on, I don't, I, I can only speak for myself, but I almost like put that pressure on myself to respond to a text, you know, or make sure I, you know, get back to someone, even if it doesn't warrant a response. And so that is something I'm working on. Not everything warrants a response. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's coming from a hateful place, but it's just coming from a place of self-preservation. Yeah, that's a great point. I like that self-preservation. Another thing I wanted to say is uh, it's okay to seek professional help. I think people can kind of clam up a little bit on this one because, um, you know, there's something about saying, maybe you should talk to someone (laughs) that, uh, you know, can just be really sensitive. But you know, if you're listening to this and that's not something that you've done, reached out to a counselor or a therapist, um, you know, I want to encourage you. It's okay to do that whenever it feels like it's time for you. In my personal experience, and I, I shared this in, in my story, that I had seen a counselor in, in the past before uh, Leland's accident. And then in that same week of like before the funeral, um, I went and saw her. So uh, we found out that he had passed away on a Monday and that Wednesday, I was in her office. And if I'm remembering correctly, Thursday was the visitation and Friday was the funeral. Yes, that's correct. So I remember sitting in her office and asking her questions that I was embarrassed to ask anybody else. And I, like one question that really sticks out to me is I ask her, what the heck is a visitation? And um, will, I said, will he be there? What I, what I meant by that was, you know, will his body be there? Will the casket be there? What, what do I expect? And I was using the words that I knew how to use. Mm-hmm. And that was a really very critical time for me to be able to just sit there and ask her questions that I, I, I mean, I was 20. I hadn't really been to funerals. I mean, <clears throat> right. H- hardly ever, right. maybe a few. I didn't, I, I had, I had been to funerals. I had attended funerals. I had never participated in a funeral. And so it was, it was a really, really key time for me to, you know, it was almost like a triage appointment for me to just be like, what the heck am I supposed to be doing? How do I sleep? How do I do this? How do I do that? And that was really helpful for me. Um, several, year, several years out now, uh, I'm still going to therapy regularly. 
And I'm really thankful for that. I'm really, really thankful. It's been pivotal in my personal uh, healing and, and just walking through my grief. And I will say, Sarah, that you, I'm so thankful for you for a plethora of things. But one thing that I'm really thankful for is that you really did kind of pioneer the, um, you blazed the trail of counseling in the Marrero family. (laughs) You were the first. And I think that that's a very brave thing to do. And, you know, you went to counseling, you know, prior to Leland's accident and passing and, um, you know, I hadn't been before and I like to think of myself as an incredibly self-aware person and self-reliant person and I already have it figured out don't worry about it like I've already thought through every single scenario like we're fine um but the truth of the matter is like I got to a point I remember this day vividly um it was in May of 2018 uh sorry 2019 and I had a panic attack and I realized I cannot do this on my own. And that's not to say that I didn't have the support of family and friends, but there is something to be said about seeking professional help. And it is a very brave thing to do. And I am such a huge proponent of counseling. I went to counseling for a few months in 2019. Then I moved to Chicago. And that intro, I think, to counseling for those first few months, it was I, I have thoughts on that that maybe I'll unpack later, but I am once again back in counseling um, because I realized a few months ago I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and I am new in a marriage and I am carrying all sorts of things like I need to help myself and I have found an incredible counselor and actually through Sarah's suggestion. Shout out Sage Hill. Um, Love Sage Hill. Oh my gosh. It has been a transformative experience. And I don't want to say I look forward to Monday nights at 6 p.m., but (laughs) I kind of do now because counseling is just that great where it's, it is time for me to care for myself and to unpack things. And I, have the help and guidance of a really amazing counselor and um and I am unpacking things with my own grief you know five years down the road that oh gosh would have been so helpful Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I had had this five years ago but I didn't know that I needed it I didn't know how to ask for help I didn't I thought I was going to be okay just on my own you know and that wasn't the case for me and it and it took a couple years and a few panic attacks to get me to that point. But, um, I'm just so grateful for the clarity and the healing that, uh, counseling has brought for me personally. Um, and I will never shut up about it. I love that. Please don't ever shut up about it. (laughs) Oh, I won't. You know, one thing that my counselor told me recently was our, our minds and our brains are wired to heal. And sometimes they don't do it right. So like, you know, classical conditioning, if you, you know, burn your hand on a stove, you're not going to do that again. That's your brain, you know, is, is wired to teach you things and to heal. And I think that's the, the really great thing about, you know, professional counseling and therapy is, you know, if you can 
in this time, in such a, in such a broken time of grieving at whatever stage in grieving that you're in, if you can get yourself a guide, you know, they can really help you to guide your brain's healing in a way that, you know, is, is really helpful and positive in a way, um, you know, in a way forward because your brain's going to heal no matter what. It just, it might be in a little bit of a backwards way, which is where we get things like post-traumatic stress disorder. And, um, anyway, not to nerd out on anybody, but I love it. (laughs) And I also want to say this, if you're not in early grief, if you lost your person 10 years ago, it's not too late. It's never, it's never too late. Never too late. You are never too broken or too far gone or too anything to get counseling. Absolutely. And to seek professional help. Yeah. It's transformative. I promise with the right counselor. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for coming to our Ted talk about going to counseling. (laughs) Oh my gosh. These are my favorite kind of Ted talks. Love it. Okay. There's one more thing I wanted to touch on here. Um, and that is just to let you know, whoever you are at whatever point in grief that you are, that it's really, it's, it's normal, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, it, it is normal. And I'm sure it's probably things that maybe we have thought or felt, Uh, And four things I wanted to touch on specifically that are normal, especially in that first year. uh, And one, Susanna, you, you kind of touched on already is that it's, it's normal to feel lonely. Our circles, our social circles got really small and I learned who I could trust, who I could not trust. And it's, it's normal to feel lonely. Yeah. And I think for me personally, I felt so raw and so exposed with that early grief that I didn't want to meet anyone new personally because I didn't want to have to explain myself. Yeah. And go through the small talk because I, well, I wasn't even in the mood for small talk. Um, I'm still not very good at it, to be honest. Um, But I didn't want to have to face those conversations of, so tell me about your family or how many siblings do you have? And it, it literally has taken me until now because I've had to navigate multiple conversations, especially when you move or you start different, you know, jobs or whatever. I mean, like you're bound to meet new people. It's gonna happen, but it has taken me five years to finally get to a place where I am comfortable with a certain vernacular and certain way of, explaining yes I am one of five siblings and I just kind of have a little spiel and and that's that you know and I can I can get through it without feeling awkward um because at the end of the day it's my story and you know I didn't choose this but it's the best way I know how to navigate it yeah absolutely I think those are all very very normal things to feel um it's also really normal to feel angry this is one that I really felt. I, I felt angry and um, people who, you know, may or may not have experienced loss might tell you that anger is a part of these uh, stages of grief, which I'm sure we'll get into later on that the stages of grief are a scam. <laughs> if anyone tries to cite the stages of grief, I want you to know that from Susanna Marrero Jeffries, you have full permission to kindly give them the bird (laughs) in turn and walk away. And I say that seriously. Absolutely. You have my permission to do that. Yeah. 
yeah, basically, and, and again, I'm sure we'll get into this later, the stages of grief were built for something very different from our circumstances. So they just, you know, don't always apply. But it, it really is very normal to feel angry. I know for myself, I felt really angry with God for a long time. And to be honest, still feel angry with God. And I, I actually was just recently reading a book that I'm, I'm not going to say the title of because I put it down, stopped reading it, um, <laughs> that said it was wrong to feel angry with God. And I... It was in the first chapter, and I put that book down, and I put it in a drawer, and, you know, haven't gotten it out since then, because that's just not true. It's not true for me. It is okay for me to feel angry with God. I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier in this episode, where the God of the universe can handle your anger. Absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you curse God, or, you know, anything like that. Like, we're not turning our backs on God. Although it's very easy to feel like, yeah, what else is there to do but that? Um, but it is, it is okay to wrestle with, with that relationship and to be angry because he can handle it. Yeah. You know, I also, if I'm going to be totally candid, which that's what this space is for. Go there, girl. I felt angry with Leland. You know, if, if, if circumstances would have been different, you know, I, I just remember thinking if he hadn't done this or if he had done this, you know, he would still be here or maybe he would. And just kind of playing out all these wood situations, um, you know, that, w- that was just a very real feeling that I felt. Uh, I also felt angry with myself and with the circumstances. Again, if we hadn't done this, if somebody had done that, you know, he would still be here. And again, that's not necessarily true for people in all grieving situations. But, you know, for me, that that was the case is I, I, I felt angry with specific people. Yeah, I um I just saw red. Yeah, I was angry with everything. I was angry at the shopping cart that was stuck to the other shopping cart when I was trying to go grocery shopping. I was angry at the person who waited too long at the red light that made me miss you know, the green arrow or, you know, what, well, I don't even know, whatever, whatever it was, like, I just saw red and this really happened for me. Um, I would say when, when, when the fog of those first few months, when that really lifted, my fuse was so short that I just did not have the time or the capability of being patient um at all and I think that's also why I intentionally made my life very small because I will be honest I was not a fun person to be around you know I I didn't feel like I was a fun person or a um or really a polite person to be around and I still have to watch myself every once in a while because you just have a new a, a new uh uh like clarity on things and um I, I still struggle with a short fuse, which might take some people by surprise, but that's because I'm keeping you at arm's length because you don't want to see <laughs> <What's> the <underneath>? ugliness <laughs> of Susanna's, um, Susanna's heart sometimes, which that's a hard thing to admit. You know, I wish I was long suffering. I wish I was more patient. I wish, you know, I wish I wasn't so angry and I even struggle with anger now, mm-hmm. um, it feels different than it did in that first year or two, but I was an angry person, not rageful. Um, I wasn't aggressive, 
I just felt a lot of anger in my soul. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to say to anybody who's listening, you know, you're not mean. You're not a mean person. You're just angry. And, um, and you, you are allowed to feel angry. Yeah. There are also some people, um, kind of in the psychology world, people have a lot of different feelings about anger, but, um, some people think that a lot of times anger is, um, a secondary emotion to sadness. I've heard that before. Yeah. And I, 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 I could agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, in grief, really at the, at the base of what we're feeling is sad and it comes out as anger sometimes and that's okay. It's okay. And it won't, it's not permanent. Yeah. You'll feel something else another day. You will. Yeah. And it might take a long time, but it's not permanent. I promise you that because I was really scared that first year that I was going to be a permanent B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> I don't know if we can cuss on this podcast. It's this our podcast. Been, it's been really hard for me to bite my tongue. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really struggle with certain words. Um, Listen, and I this is only reserve show. the F word for grief. Um, and I haven't dropped it once. I'm proud of you. Personal growth. I'm really proud. It will happen at some <laughs> point. So is there... And never mind. I'm just going to stop there. But I, I really was worried that I was going to be a bitch for the rest of my life. Like this is just, this is just who I am. I'm just a broken hearted bitch. And thankfully that wasn't the permanent personality that I got. But do I still get angry? Do I still have a short fuse? Sure. But it, it, it's temporary. It doesn't last forever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Another thing that's really normal to feel is jealousy. Um, this was something that really, really surprised me, shocked me um, when I was grieving. So uh, I, I was at, at home, back home in Nashville for two weeks before I went back to school. Um, yeah, which was a long time and a short time all at once. And I remember going back and talking to a friend uh, um, at college and in her trying to comfort me, which I, I want to say she was doing the best that she could with what she had. So I want to give her some grace there. Uh, tried to relate to me by sharing that her parents had been through marital difficulties and, you know, they were still married, but, you know, really didn't like each other or whatever. And so, you know, she was trying to say she really understood feeling lonely in her family or I, I don't really know, honestly, what she was trying to say, but yeah, she was, that's, uh, that's grasping. Right, right, right. Very different. Can you say apples and oranges? I mean, not the same Can thing. you say not helpful? Not helpful. But I remember thinking in that moment, I wish that was what I was going through. Obviously, I would never want my parents' marriage to suffer, but I just remember But thinking, at least they're still living. Absolutely. And the one thought I had was, all your siblings are alive. I wish that the worst thing that happened to me was that all my siblings and my parents were alive. You know, obviously my parents are alive, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I have felt, you know, since then too, getting Christmas cards, seeing intact families, um, seeing other families, seeing people who, you know, are Leland's age or were Leland's age. I still am struggling with how to say that. We're still trying on. We're still trying on different ways of saying that, but, um, born the same year as Leland past milestones that we didn't get to see him pass. And that, that's really, really difficult. And I, you know, I have, I've definitely felt jealous of other people, of other families 
and specifically of other people's problems, hearing the things that other people complain about, I get jealous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Minute. And I would so agree with that. And that is something that I really have struggled with. And I think that that also goes back to the fact that I have kept my world so small because I just can't handle those feelings of jealousy. And I, in, in the next episode, we will talk about how to navigate the holidays, but you know, I would get so frustrated. And I think that this is like a righteous frustration with people that, you know, don't really get along with their siblings or their parents. Mm. They just have to go home for the holidays. It's like, Oh, what a problem to have that all of your siblings are going to be in one room together and you guys might not get along. I'm never going to get that again. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I hear you. Yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last year I have, it's really normal to feel afraid. Um, death is really scary. It just is. A lot of people are afraid of, of death, not just for themselves, but for other people. And I know for myself, (laughs) after losing Leland, I became suddenly terrified that everybody else in my life was going to die. And I remember telling my counselor, you can't tell me that that's an irrational fear because it's already happened to me once. True. And it was like, you know, all the other things that I could think of, like, well, that doesn't really make sense. That's kind of irrational. No, this one's very rational. It, it already happened. Who's to say it can't happen again? So I want to say it's really normal to feel afraid of losing other people. Um, it's really normal to feel afraid of something, you know, surrounding your person's death. Um, for me, I was very afraid of driving. I didn't drive for a little over a month after losing Leland. And that's what I needed. That's just, uh, that was me taking care of me. It was asking other people for rides everywhere. Um, but I, I think it's it's really, really normal to feel afraid. Yeah. And uh, to go with that, Sarah, I, it took me almost a year to drive on the interstate. Um, that was the interstate that Leland had his accident on. And I still don't know the exact place where the accident took place. And I don't care to know that. Um, That's not helpful for me. And so um, please don't ever give me that information if you do know it. Um, But I would literally take, if it meant going around the entire city of Nashville, which granted is not that big, but the traffic's terrible, um, to get where I needed to go to bypass that interstate, I did it and I did it for almost a year and I remember driving on it for the first time. It felt so wrong. Mm. Um, Almost irreverent for yeah, me is, is yeah. how it felt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, since then I, I have, you know, I am able to drive on that interstate, but um, I still think about it every time when yeah. I'm on, on, you know, on that road, on that road, on that interstate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the fear, and if you, I mean, I'm not going to get long-winded. Um, I'll try to keep this brief, but when it comes to being afraid and being fearful, um, that is something that I feel like is very close to myself. Um, if the Enneagram means anything, I may have mentioned this before, but I am a six, um, which we... We are very fearful people. It doesn't mean that we're not necessarily brave. I think I'm a very brave person, but I'm also incredibly fearful. Um, 
it can get to the point where it's a little debilitating. And I think grief definitely has unlocked that. And Leland's accident has definitely unlocked that. But um, there's a lot of, a lot of fear that I've had to navigate, um, which has led to panic attacks, which I clearly didn't navigate well or in a healthy manner, um, which then led me to counseling, which I'm very thankful for. But um, it is an incredibly normal thing to feel, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and fear is so normal because it's, it is literally ingrained in us. And if you think about it, you know, fear protects us. It, yeah. Fear keeps us safe. And it goes back to what my counselor said about how our minds are always trying to heal and, and, and really keep us safe. And that's, I think exactly what fear does is we have learned that something isn't safe. Dying is not safe. And, um, so our, you know, our, our brain tries to protect us by teaching us to be afraid of those things. So mm-hmm. another reason why it's so important to go to counseling. Well, do you have any closing thoughts, Susanna? Sorry, I, I should have I should have told you I was going to ask you that. <laughs> I literally I am the worst when it comes to like thinking on my feet. Um I have to be prepared again, number 6. Um I will come up with really good closing remarks in two days. Great. We'll share them on our Instagram. I, yes, we will share them on the Instagram and I, I'm, I'm being completely serious. Like it will take me two days to come up with like really good, thoughtful closing marks remarks, but I hope that this episode brought maybe a sense of comfort, um, to the people that are grieving, uh, whether you are, so early in your grief or whether this is something that you have carried for years and years and years and years and years. Um, these are still some practical, um, you know, applications, um, or hopefully validations because at the end of the day, like it's still good to drink water. It's still good to get outside. It's still good to take care of your body and it's still okay to feel angry or jealous or, you know, what, whatever it may be. Um, you are, only human and the best thing that you can do is just to take care of yourself yeah absolutely and we want you to know that we're right there in the trenches with you and Mm -hmm. um you know we we want to just continue to just cultivate a community that is really intentional about you know grieving and loving on grieving people and understanding yeah Absolutely. And with that, our website, if you haven't visited yet, um, actually has a space where you can contact us. So there is a, a, a space on our website where you can reach out to us. Um, we will actually read it, I promise. <laughs> um, but if you uh, have any questions, if there's anything that um, you know you, you feel like you want to know about or um, not necessarily about us personally because we really guard um, very carefully our own personal story but if there's anything any questions that you have about grief we'd, we'd love to hear from you or if you just have something to say we'd questions love to hear from you. comments concerns um, not criticism we don't want to hear you criticize no, us <laughs> no we are trying the best we can and we are fragile no I'm kidding um but no I mean seriously though like anything yeah. we would we would love to hear from you and we know that this can feel like a very lonely place to be when you're grieving, but know that you are not alone. We are right there with you. And, um, 
and we would love to hear from you. So Sarah, what's our, uh, what's our website? Yeah, our website is grieftalkpodcast.com. You can find us there and episodes as yeah. well. So yeah. we'd love to hear from you. And until the next time you hear from us, thank you for joining us here on Grief Talk. Bye. Bye.